This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. The later of other people. So you remember those candies, now and later? It was like a knockoff Starburst. And the, the point of now and later, I'm pretty sure this is why they named it this, you eat it now and it's stuck in your teeth so long that six months later you're still tasting it. And so that candy you ate now, it's impacting your later. Because what we do in life echoes in eternity. I found some quotes, and these quotes come from celebrities and notable people in history, and I wanna read them to you. First one says, I already know I'm going to hell. At this point, it's really go big or go home. If, you're all go, if we're all going to hell in a handbasket, we might as well make it a party on the way down. Go to heaven for the climate, but go to hell for the company. And then better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. So we live in a culture and we live in a society that the mindset of our entire culture is that hell is gonna be some big party with all the most fun people there. Heaven's for the boring people, they're gonna do whatever they wanna do, but hell's where the party's at. And we can see that in our movies, in our music, in the things that our celebrities and people of history have said. Hell's a big party, but unfortunately, we're sadly mistaken if we buy into that belief. Because I can assure you that hell's no party. Hell is a reality, and it's something that we need to hear about. In the New Testament, the New Testament was penned by nine different writers. Nine different men wrote down the words of the New Testament as the Holy Spirit inspired them. Even the, the, the author Jude, he only wrote one book, and his book only has one chapter, but all nine, every single New Testament writer wrote about hell. Jesus himself spoke about hell over and over again. And so let's get our truth about hell, not from culture, not from society, but from the word of God. Is that okay today? So I'm just gonna mention these scriptures. I encourage you to write them down, go back and look at them at a later time. But here's what the, the nine New Testament writers say about hell. Luke 16, 24 talks about how hell's gonna be a place of great physical pain, of eternal, everlasting physical pain. In the last few months, I've had this headache that just won't seem to go away. And I'll take Advil and I'll take Tylenol, I've taken Excedrin, and nothing makes it better. And that's a small taste. Have you ever had a migraine or something that just won't go away and nothing you do can make it go away? That's a small picture of what hell will be like for eternity. Eternal physical pain. See, once you get used to that physical pain, it'll be there forever, and I don't think we'll ever physically or fully get used to it. But then in Luke 13, 28, it says there will be weeping. Just think of the sound of somebody weeping. Why does somebody weep? Because of great, great sorrow. And in hell, there will be eternal weeping. In the book of Matthew 13, verse 42, it talks about how there's gonna be wailing in hell. See, wailing is a step further from weeping, in my opinion. Weeping is because of great sorrow, but once you start wailing, that brings in great hopelessness. When you hear somebody wailing, it's because they're full of great sorrow, but they're also have totally lost hope that their situation could ever change. Luke 13, 28 says, there's gonna be gnashing of teeth, great anger, anger at the sorrow you're feeling, 
anger at the pain you're feeling, anger at the hopelessness of your situation, anger probably at yourself. Great anger. Matthew 8, 12 talks about how there's gonna be complete darkness in hell. You ever go into a dark room and your eyes haven't adjusted yet? And you kind of start to feel around for your bearings. And you know that as your eyes adjust, there's gonna be some little glimmer of light. Maybe it's the light under a door or the little LED light on the smoke detectors in your home. There's gonna be something that'll allow you to see a little bit. Not in hell. Hell's a place of great, eternal, and full darkness. In Revelation chapter 20, verse one and two, it talks about how hell is a bottomless pit. So we take for granted on earth the fact that we have fixed surfaces and it helps us to get our bearing, not in hell. Hell's a bottomless pit and you're in there for eternity with nothing to get your bearing, nothing to grab hold of. I believe that hell is a place of great loneliness and the worst thing about hell is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse seven and nine. In hell, the absence of the presence of God. God won't be there. Jesus won't be there. And when Jesus isn't there, when the Prince of Peace isn't there, that means there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no rest, there's no happiness, there's no blessing, the absence of that thing that we hold so dear as believers, the absence of the presence of God. You see, just in worship, just now, here on earth, you and I experienced the great presence of God. We experienced his touch, we experienced his peace, we experienced his healing, but not in hell. In hell, the presence of God won't be there. And the thing of it is, when you spend 10,000 centuries in hell, you won't have one day less to serve than when you started. That's the reality of eternity, and that's the reality of hell. Friends, it won't be a party. No matter what you hear from society, there is nothing fun or glamorous or good about hell at all. See, why hell? Why was it made? Why was it created? Why does it exist? So there was an NFL quarterback a couple of years ago, and I'm not gonna say his name, you may know who it is, but I'm gonna quote something that he said, and he called himself a Christian. He said, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. He said, what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn the beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? And that was his belief and that was his heart that a loving God that created the world would condemn people to hell, send people to hell. He was so mistaken about the character of God. He was so mistaken about the heart of God. Yes, hell's a reality, and yes, people are gonna be there, but I wanna show you the hearts of our creator. See, God created the world and he created it perfectly. We read about in Genesis 1 and 2 that everything he created was good. When he created the plants and the animals and the trees and the water and the mountains and the hills, and when he created you and me, he said, it is good. He created a perfect world. And the Bible even says that Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the cool of the evening. And I can imagine them just like my son walks with me whenever we're going one place or another and he holds my hand 
and he'll say things to me and I'll say things back to him and we're walking together. That's how it was with God. Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the cool of the evening. They got to be in the presence of God. They got to experience his perfection. And all of this, he gave us this place for us to live and he gave us one rule. He said, I'm giving you all of this. I'm giving you dominion over all of it. I'm giving you charge over all of it. And one thing that you cannot do is don't eat the fruit from this one tree. You can have everything else, but don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And then we know the story. Satan, the deceiver of the brethren, came. And he deceived Adam and Eve, and they made a choice. They didn't have to sin. They didn't have to give in to his temptation, but they did. And they took and they disobeyed the one commandment God gave. And they invited sin into our world. And they invited darkness into our world. And they invited pain into our world. All those things that characterized hell, they invited that in by disobeying the commandment of God. Remember, he set it up perfectly. We messed it up. But even though we messed it up, even though I messed it up, even though you messed it up, and you may say, because I used to think this, wait a second, I wasn't there. I want the one that chose to eat the apple. But here's a question of self-reflection. What have you chosen to do that goes against the commandment of God? Because the Bible's pretty clear that all have sinned. Say all. All have sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. Probably today. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. So no, you didn't eat the fruit. You didn't take that fruit and eat it. But you have disobeyed a commandment of God. And that's what happened. They invited sin into the world. But we serve a God that loves us so much that he didn't leave us in our fallen condition. It would have been pretty easy, and if you or I were in charge, we probably would have said, well, I told you not to do it, now look what you did. But that wasn't our Father's heart at all. He made a plan from the beginning of time because he knew we would mess it up. He knew we would sin, he knew we would fall short. And so he made a plan to send his only son to the earth, to be humbled and to be beaten and scorned and crucified by the very people that he created, to watch his son hang on that cross. See, when God sent Jesus to the earth, Jesus lived 33 years on this earth and not one time ever did he sin. Not one time ever did he make a mistake. Not one time ever did he disobey a commandment of his father. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And you may not know why that's so important, but because he lived a perfect, sinless life, that qualified him to take my sin. Because I haven't lived a perfect, sinless life. And you haven't lived a perfect, sinless life. But since Jesus did, he could take our punishment. See, the Bible not only says that all have sinned, that includes you, that includes me, it also tells us what the punishment of sin is. It says, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death in hell. But God, but God sent his son. God chose to save us, even though we're the ones that messed it up. And I've heard it said over and over, how can a loving God send people to hell? There's even pastors that have deviated from the word of God on that very thought, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Maybe we should think about that a little bit differently this morning. Instead of thinking, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Why don't we think, how could a God 
who would send his perfect sinless son to the earth to be humbled as a man, to give his life for the people that he created. How could a God that would do that not be a God of perfect love? And we serve a God of perfect love. And and, and you and I, we all have the same opportunity. See, if, if we were forced to love God, if we were forced to accept Jesus, what kind of love is that? How could we love God if we were forced into it? We'd be like robots, but we're not. He gave us a free will and he gave us a choice. And just like you chose what socks to put on this morning, what clothes to put on, some of you ladies may have chosen like three different outfits and you tried each one on and ah, that's not quite right. If the power goes out, I'll look better in this outfit. And you chose what to put on. And we get the opportunity to choose Jesus, amen? So the character of our God isn't to send people to hell. Actually, I wanna show you what hell was intended for. Look in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. I told you to go there a little bit earlier. And we're gonna go to verse 41. I hope you brought your Bible with you today. We don't have the screens. You know what, something kinda cool about all of this though, I've been excited about this. Something happens when things get shaken up, you know? Something happens when things are just a little different and we're forced to be in a different mindset. I know that God's moving today. Satan doesn't want you to hear this message, but the Holy Spirit has destined you and ordained you to hear it today. So Matthew 25, verse 41, check this out. Then the king, that's Jesus, he will turn to those on his left and he will say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, that's hell, and this is the important part, prepared for the devil and his demons. So I wanna ask you a question. Who was hell prepared for? The devil and his demons, not me. Now, will there be people in hell? Yeah, yeah, there will be. Because unless we receive Jesus, unless we accept his sacrifice for our sins, then that means what you're saying is, I'll take care of my sins on my own. And that means that you'll be in hell. The hell that wasn't prepared for you, but that you'll be in the hell that was prepared for the devil and for his demons. So if hell was prepared for the devil and his demons, then what is prepared for me? And I know this has been gloomy so far, but it's important that you know this, and it's important that you know the truth. But are you ready for the hope? If hell was prepared for the devil and his demons, what's prepared for me? What's prepared for all those who do accept Jesus' plan of salvation? who do take their sins and repent of them and put them on Jesus and allow his perfect life to pay for the sins that you committed. What's in store for those people? Look at Matthew 25, go back just a little bit in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. As Jesus saved ones, as ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we inherit the kingdom of God. We inherit heaven. I want you to turn to the right to the book of 2 Peter. And we're gonna be in chapter three of 2 Peter. See, hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. And if you read Revelation, the Antichrist, the beast, they will be in hell forever. But there will be people there too. Even though God never intended for people to be there, that's where they'll be because they refuse to accept Jesus. See, you and I have the answer. You and I have 
what people need to be accepted into heaven. And in the book of 2 Peter, chapter three, we're gonna be in verse nine. We talked about how people have said, and there's this, this thing that's happening even in the church, and they say, how could a loving God send people to hell? I want you to look at what a loving God actually does do. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for whose sake? For your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. See, he gives us a choice, we're not robots. If we want to reject Jesus, he'll let us. But he's being slow, or he's not being slow to keep his promise, but he is waiting patiently because his desire and what Jesus paid for was for all, was for everyone to receive his plan of salvation, was for everyone to be in heaven with him for eternity. Let's look at what the Bible says about heaven. See, the Bible gives us great details about heaven. And I'm just gonna read a few of them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, we can't even comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. Our minds can't even fathom the goodness of heaven. Our minds can't fathom the goodness of being in the presence of God for all of eternity, day and night, night and day, sitting in his feet. We can't even think about how amazing that will be. Revelation 21, verse three through four, paints this beautiful picture of what heaven's like. And the first thing that it says is that God will make his home among us. See, hell is the, is the absence of the presence of God, but heaven is the abiding and the dwelling and the fullness of the presence of God. The next thing it says in Revelation 21 is that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more darkness. Actually, the Bible says in Revelation 21, it says we won't need a lamp or a light, we won't need the sun. You know what it says? God himself will light up heaven. He is so full of light that there is no need for another light source because in heaven, his presence is all encompassing. I've even heard that in heaven, there's no shadows because the light is just everywhere. God himself, the lamb of God, is the light. And you know what the other thing about heaven? In Luke 30, 23, verse 42, this is the, the story when Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross and the thief is next to him. And this guy that's lived his whole life sinning over and over and over, constantly missing the mark, he was a thief. He deserved to be crucified on that cross. But right before he died, he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me. He confessed Jesus as the Lord. He confessed that Jesus was the way. And Jesus turned to him and he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, heaven is a place where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no darkness or sickness. And in a year like we've all lived, we've probably experienced death and the loss of family members. And we've probably experienced physical sickness and physical problems in our body to some degree. And a lot of us have experienced anxiety and fear and worry. None of those things will be in heaven. It 
will be a paradise. But what does it take to be part of that paradise? It takes the blood of Jesus. It takes your sin being covered by the only thing that can cover it, the man who lived a perfect, sinless life and who took your sin and who paid the penalty and who died on the cross for you. But he didn't stay dead because God raised him from the dead. See, I wanted to explain this to my daughter one time. She's five. And the Lord gave me this really great opportunity to do that. See, there's this cheese that's at my mom's house and her cousin Charlie, Charlie loves the cheese. It's the round cheeses and they come in the the red wax and you have to peel the wax off to eat the cheese. I think these things are disgusting. They They are nasty. I don't know who likes them except Charlie, but we keep them stocked in the house for Charlie. Well, Ellie told me one time, she said, Daddy, for snack, I want the red cheese. And I said, no, you don't. You hate the red cheese. Last time, it almost made you throw up. You take one bite every time and you spit it out. She's like, this time's gonna be different, Daddy. I want the cheese. What she actually wanted was to be like her cousin. I realized that. But she, she begged, I want the cheese. I want the cheese. I said, don't open the cheese. You don't like it. You're going to spit it out. She begged me, get Daddy, please, the cheese. And so I, I told her, Listen, I'll let you open that cheese, but if you open the cheese, you are going to eat it. All the cheese, you're gonna eat it. She's like, yes, I will eat the cheese, daddy. And so she opens the cheese, she takes one bite in the face, starts twisting and contorting, and I can tell she hates the cheese. And I look at her, I told you you'd hate the cheese. I said, you've gotta eat it. So I said, we're not gonna be spitting up on the carpet. So you sit in the kitchen floor while your cousin and your brother are all watching a a TV show and you eat that cheese. And so she sat there, almost tears in her eyes, every single tiny bite. She's eating it like a mouse, just nibbling. It was gonna take hours. And she's eating the cheese. And so it's time to go home. I'm like, everybody get in the car. She's like, I still have all this cheese. Take it with us, you're eating the cheese. You chose to open the cheese, you're gonna eat it. And so we get in the car and she's in the back in her car seat and I'm like, eat it on the way home, drink water after every bite, I don't know, that way when we get home, you can play for a little bit. She gets home, still hasn't eaten the cheese. She's like, I can't, I'm like, you better eat it, I told you, I told you. And so we get home and her brother's playing, having a great time, it's almost bedtime and she's still sitting in the kitchen floor, almost in tears, nibbling on the cheese. And the Lord said, this is an opportunity to teach her about me. I said, okay. And so I walked over to her and I bent down and I said, Ellie, Who chose to open that cheese? She said, I did. I said, who told you not to open the cheese? She said, you did. I said, who knew that you wouldn't like it? She said, you would, Daddy. I said, you know what Jesus did for us? She said, what? And I grabbed the cheese out of her hand and I put the whole thing in my mouth and I chewed it up and I swallowed it and I almost threw up, I hate that cheese. (laughs) And she lit up. And I said, your cheese has been eaten, you can go and play. And I know that the cheese story is funny, but that's what Jesus did for you and for me. The Bible says he took our shame, he took our sin. He didn't just erase it, he paid for it. Somebody had to take our sin because the wages of sin is death, and Jesus took it. Now, Ellie could have chosen not to hand me that cheese. She could have chosen to keep, no, I I can do it myself. No, she couldn't. She couldn't have eaten all that cheese. But there was, her daddy loved her enough to do it for her. And that's the heart of God. 
So when you hear how can a loving God send people to hell, don't you believe that? Because a loving God sent his son to keep you out of hell. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do now impacts our later. So whether we like it or not, whether we agree or whether we disagree, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Romans chapter 10, I want you to turn there. Romans is right after the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is right after the four gospels. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. This is a scripture that you need to memorize because this is the scripture that tells you and me how to be saved and how to experience life forever in eternity with Jesus in heaven. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, out of your mouth you speak, Jesus is Lord. He's master, he's ruler, he's in charge. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says we we get salvation by his grace and through our faith. That when we confess out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and when we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we're not destined to hell anymore. And that place that was prepared for the devil and his demons, they can have it. Because there's a place that's prepared for me. And it's heaven. And it's eternal living in the presence of God. That's our reality. Hell's a reality, heaven's a reality, and Jesus paying our sins is a reality we've got to accept it, and we've got to accept him. So what if, what if there was something we needed to do with this information? What if we started to believe that hell was a real place, that it wasn't just a fairy tale, that it wasn't just, oh, hell is really just here on earth. There's a lot of opinions out there, but I want to get my information from this, and this talks about how terrible hell will be for eternity. See, James 4, 14, it says, life is but a vapor. This life that we hold dear, this thing that we see all around us, it's here one second, it's gone the next, and eternity is what's left. And we get to choose where we spend eternity by whether or not we accept Jesus, just like Romans 10, 9 says. So yes, we need to accept Jesus. What we do now impacts our later, and that is of vital importance. But like I said earlier, what we do now also impacts others later. What we do in this life impacts their eternity. So a lot of us will go through our lives and we'll kind of stay in our lane. Us four and no more can be the the American mentality a lot of times. But I want to challenge you today. Hell's real. Heaven's real. This life is but a vapor. So what if instead of walking through the store with our heads down hoping that nobody sees us or knows us, What if instead of trying our very best to avoid eye contact, what if instead of avoiding situations where God might have us communicate with somebody else, what if we start to look for those opportunities? What if we woke up every morning saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to work through me. I wanna see people come to know Jesus because of my testimony. 
What if instead of avoiding the person next to us in the airplane, hoping they're not a talker, what if we were the talker? And what if we told them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, God wants to speak through you. Did you realize that the Great Commission, when he said, go and make disciples of every nation, he wasn't just speaking to pastors and teachers and leaders. He was talking to you, and he was talking to me. Actually, you know what the Bible says in Ephesians? It says the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. You know what their job is? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, if I asked you a question and I said, hey, who's the minister in the room? You may say, oh, well, we got the, the, the guy speaking, we got the guy leading worship, we got the guy in the drums. Yes, we're not the only ministers here. Because our job, and what I'm trying to do right now, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You are ministers. You're called, you're chosen, and you have the answer that people need to experience life in heaven with Jesus. And so be equipped today. And I'm gonna give you some things that will equip you for the work of the ministry. Look at our calling. In Matthew 4, 19, this is when Jesus called his disciples. And he looked at them and he said, hey, you having a great time fishing? They're like, eh, it's, kinda, it's not good today. We're not doing a great job. He said, well, I've got something better for you. Come follow me and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm gonna teach you to fish for people, some translations say. We're called to be fishers of men. And see, a fisherman, they bait their hook and they study where to put the hook in the water. And they don't just sit there passively and, uh, uh. no, they research. And the really good fishermen do a lot of research and they practice a lot and they go out every weekend. We're called to be fishers of men. You're still in Romans chapter 10. Look down in verses 13 through 15. And it says, for everyone, say everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the part that's a little scary for you and for me. In verse 14 it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, Billy Graham, he was a messenger to millions and millions of people. And that was his calling. You might be a messenger to three people. And that may be your calling. It's not about the number of people that you, that you tell about Jesus. It's that you walk in full obedience to your calling. And if you're called to get your aunt saved, then you do it and don't shy away and you be bold. If you're called to, to tell your, your, your dad about the good news of Jesus, then you do it with boldness. So you never know, there was somebody that told Billy Graham about Jesus. And from that one person telling Billy Graham about Jesus, millions were saved. In Proverbs 11:30, it says, he who wins souls is wise. I wanna be counted as wise. Turn back to the left just a few pages to the book of Acts chapter 20. I saw this the other day and my heart just leapt within me. 
I want you to look what Paul says in Acts 20, verse 24. And he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, there's nothing in my life worthwhile unless I use my life to tell other people about Jesus. See, I hope from hearing about hell, my point in telling you that was that you understand the reality for people who don't accept Jesus. That's their real destiny. That's really where they're headed. And I don't know about you, but I don't wish that on my worst enemy. I can't even grasp eternity, much less being in physical pain and darkness and sadness and torment for all of eternity with no rest. I want people to go to heaven. So how do we do that? What do we do? I told you that the very first thing is this right here. Are you on your way to heaven? Or are you on the highway to hell? Have you viewed hell as a big party? Like we read those quotes, I'm on the way to hell, might as well party on the way down. Or are you on the way to heaven because of the grace of God and because of the sacrifice of Jesus? That's number one. But next, we're called to be a witness. We're called to testify. We're called to be those feet that bring the good news of the gospel. How can they know unless we tell them? And so the first thing that I wanna equip you with is that you start somewhere. Where I started, I started carrying church business cards with me everywhere that I went. And I would keep them in my wallet. And I would keep my, my, myself open to the Lord speaking to me. And he would put people on my heart and he would say, invite them to church. And so I'd take the business card and I had this thing that I, I say when I hand them out. And I recommend, just have a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you're not, probably not gonna say anything. And the Holy Spirit may change what you say and be open to that, but have a plan. And so I, I hand them the business card and I say, hey, if you don't have a place where you and your family can go to church, I wanna invite you to mine. And I tell them, God's been doing some amazing things in our church and I wanna invite you to come experience it. Have a great day. That's it. Did that kill me? No. And they may come to church here. They may never come to church here. Some people that I've invited have come. A lot of people that I've invited haven't come. But that seed was planted. And whenever they hear somebody else talking about God, they may remember, wait, that guy handed me that card and told me God was doing really great things in their church. How do I know? Maybe 10 years down the road, they're gonna open up an old wallet and find that card and have a point in their life where they really need a touch of God. And maybe they'll come. There was one time when I, when I was teaching school before I got hired here, I taught eighth grade math. And every year at our, at our church, we'd have the back to school bash for the teenagers. And it was so fun, they would go outside and play the games, and they'd have blow up bouncy houses and free food and all of this stuff. And I used to invite all of my students to come. I figure if I'm gonna be around 120 something teenagers every day, I may as well invite them to come to church. And this thing was strictly for fun, but the youth pastor always gave an altar call at the end. Like no message, no worship, just an altar call for people to receive Jesus. And I remember I, I made these, these handouts, these flyers, and I handed them to every student. And I said, come to my church tonight. It's gonna be awesome, free food. That's basically all you need to hear, free food. The teenagers are gonna come. And so four or five of my students came. They had a great time. They played all the games. They ate all the food. And this one student named Zeke, 
came to church with me. And he had a great time. And at the end of the, of the game time and at the end of the food, youth pastor gave an altar call. He said, if anybody wants to receive Jesus, the invitation's open tonight. And Zeke raised his hand. And that night, Zeke gave his life to Jesus. And I was so touched that, God, you had a purpose in what you called me to do. And it was a little uncomfortable, but I was obedient. And look at this. About a year later, I got an email from Zeke's grandmother. She had emailed everybody in the school, all of his teachers. And Zeke had had an asthma attack that killed him. And at 15 years old, Zeke died. And I was so full of mixed emotions. How sad to lose a 15-year-old. How sad for his parents and his family. But what great joy that I could look back one year earlier and say, I was there that day, and Zeke's going to heaven, and he's with Jesus. So we never know. We never know. Our life is a vapor. Everyone else's life is a vapor. Who would have thought that a 15-year-old, would, would, their life would end? But God knew. And God had an appointment for Zeke, and God got a hold of his heart, and Zeke obeyed and opened himself up, and he received Jesus. And Zeke's in heaven for eternity. And I've also thought since that day, what would have happened if I wouldn't have obeyed? What would have happened if I would have been too embarrassed to pass out cards about my church at the public school that I worked at? I would like to think that God would have sent somebody else, but I don't know that for sure. I may have been Zeke's last hope to give him that card. And he came to this church, and this church loved him, and the people here loved him. And the youth pastor at the time was obedient to give that altar call, and Zeke's in heaven. So start somewhere. You ever ask somebody that you don't know if you can pray for them? Do you know how impactful that can be for somebody? I've started doing this, and it's, it's embarrassing, and it's hard. It's hard to be bold, but God will put people on my heart. And I'll just go up to him and God will show me that person needs, needs prayer. And I'll go up to him and I'll say, hi. Say, God's done some really great things in my life this year and healed me of a lot of things. And I'll tell him, is there a need that you have that you would like for me to pray for? And you know what, more times than not, they'll let me pray for him. I was on the phone the other day with Suddenlink uh, tech support. It's like a 45 minute call. You know, the terrible phone calls. And so I'm talking to this guy and he starts asking about coronavirus in our area. I'm like, if he's gonna be open with me and talk, I'm gonna talk to him too. And so for our 45 minute call, I talked to him about what God had done in my life and I talked to him about how, how the Lord had, had healed my body and done a work in my mind. And at the end, this guy that definitely wasn't a Christian, he told me, he let me pray for him. And he said he was, he was worried and, and he was going to school and needed direction and he had some things in his body going on. And so I prayed for him and I prayed in the name of Jesus on the phone with somebody from tech support. And at the end he said, oh wow, thank you so much. He said, I've got goosebumps all over my body. And I don't believe that goosebumps are any sign of anything, but I do believe that that man was open to the God's touch in his life. Why? Because I was obedient on a silly call to a guy in tech support that I never met, that I never will meet, but God wanted to touch his life. And there's people that you're gonna see Maybe it's family members, maybe it's friends, maybe it's the cashier at Walmart, and God wants to touch them. Are you open to that being through you? Because I can tell you it's hard to get there. It's hard to, to walk up to somebody you don't know and ask if you can pray for them. It takes boldness. But after you pray for them and the, their eyes light up and you walk away, 
you'll never be so fulfilled in your whole life. So start somewhere. Carry cards with you, invite people to church, ask if they can pray for them. Second thing I wanna tell you to do is to be led by the Spirit. See, Pastor gave a, a two month, maybe it was more, but he's been talking about the Holy Spirit. And the, and the sermon series was called Filled. And one of the key scriptures was Acts 1.8, and he said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I want that power in my life, don't you? But you know what the power was for? Because it said specifically in that same verse, it says, and you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know what he's saying? The Holy Spirit will give you the power to be a witness in your little circle of influence and in your city and in your state and in your country and to the ends of the earth. But they started in their circle of influence. They started in the place they were at and the Holy Spirit gave them power. I asked the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me everywhere that I go and yes, I miss it. And yes, he puts somebody on my heart and for some silly reason, I don't obey. I don't know why because I've seen the goodness of God when I obey, but I repent and I say, God, send someone else. I missed it, send someone else to him and help me not to miss it next time. My wife and I in our budget, we have money set aside that we can use for whatever we want. We call it fun money. She gets her fun money, I get my fun money. And so I'll buy, you, know, you can go to Sonic and get stuff or a lot of times I'll save mine for a couple of months and buy new guitar pedals, it's whatever. And so I felt the Lord leading me this year at the beginning of the year. He said, don't spend money on yourself at all this year. And I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I can do that. And then he said, and the money that you would have spent on yourself, I want you to carry it with you. Okay, Holy Spirit, I can do that. And he said, and once a month, I'll put somebody on your heart and I want you to be a witness. And I want you to give them that money and I want you to tell them that I love them and that I'm good. Okay, that's a little harder than the other two, but I can do that. And it's been so wonderful. Just the, the people that he's allowed me to touch. But this month in May was the one that to me is the most significant. When I told my wife about this story, I was crying my eyes out. And I'm trying not to cry right now. Well, I like to take my kids to the donut store on Saturdays. They love donuts. And usually we just go through the drive-thru, I put them in the car in their pajamas and we go and then we come back. But for some reason this time they got dressed and they had their shoes on. And we're pulling up to the donut store, they're like, Daddy, can we please go in? I'm like, no, the drive-thru is better because we don't have to you know, be around people and we just get in the car and it's good. And they said, Daddy, please, we want to see the fish. There's a big fish tank in the donut store. So I look back at them, they got their clothes, their shoes on, I'm like, uh, okay, we'll go in. So I park the car, I go in, and there's a lady in line in front of us. And for some reason, when she, she turned around and she looked back at us, and the Lord told me, she's the one. I said, okay, this is it. The Holy Spirit put her on my heart. The Holy Spirit's led me, and he's given me the power to be a witness. And so when she walked outside, she's carrying her donuts, I walked outside with her. And I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, when you were inside the donut store there, God just put you on my heart. And I pulled the money out of my pocket and I said, and he wants me to give this to you. And she said, oh my gosh, no, sir, I can't take that at all. And I said, no, no, I'm serious, I wanna do this, I wanna give it to you. 
She said, no, sir, I cannot take that. And she had a probably six or seven year old daughter with her. She goes, mom, take the money. I said, ma'am, I'm serious. I said, the Lord put you on my heart and he wants to bless you. And she was holding her donut box with both hands so I just like put it in her finger so she had to take it. I said, God wants you to know that he sees you and that he loves you and that he knows you. And all of that is scriptural. It comes from Genesis chapter 16. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And she said, I, I, I don't know what to say. And I said, don't, don't worry about it. God saw you in that donut store and he wants you to be blessed. He loves you. And I said, he's done so many great things in my life this year. I said, is there a need that you have in your life? Could I pray for you? And she said, actually, my, my mom's been sick for about three years and she's getting worse. And she said, it's been so hard on me and my family and on my, my kids and on my mom's grandkids. And I said, well, I, I serve God that's a healer and the God that gives peace. And I said, let me pray for you. So I put my hand on her shoulder and I began to pray and I prayed that God would heal her, her mother and I prayed that God would give her peace and her family peace. And, I, and the Bible says that, that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. I prayed that over her. And I, when I was done praying, she looked up at me and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, sir, how did you know? How did you know? I said, I, I didn't know anything. But when you were in that donut store, God put you on my heart. He cares about you and he sees you and he loves you. And by me being obedient, by me being led by the Holy Spirit and being open to being a witness to that lady, she got to know that there's a God in heaven that sees her and that loves her. And the Bible says that, that the harvest is plentiful. There's lots of people that need saving, but the workers are few. So are you open to be a worker? Are you open to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? One more scripture I wanna bring you to is in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel's after Psalms, after Proverbs, after Isaiah, after Jeremiah, come to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33, seven through nine. I'm gonna warn you before I read this that this is a little scary for you and for me, but it's a challenge a challenge for us to be bold in our faith, a challenge for us to be bold when we're uncomfortable, a challenge for us to be a witness. Ezekiel 33, verse seven. It says, now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sin and I will hold you responsible for their death. But, everybody say but. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, then they'll die in their sins but you will have saved yourself. See, it's still their choice. The choice for them to repent is not on us. But you know what is on us? Is to be a fisher of men, is to be a messenger, is to be a watchman, is to be a witness, to tell people about Jesus, to care enough about them, whether you know them or not, to have such an urgency about the reality of hell and the reality of heaven burning inside of you, to have fire shut up on the inside of your bones, 
that you would be bold and that you would be a watchman and that you would warn them. And I am not saying to shout on the street corner with signs and and with megaphones, you all better turn to Jesus or you're going to hell. If God tells you to do that, then do it, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to do what you're called to do. Billy Graham was called to hold crusades. You may or may not be called to hold crusades, but you're probably called to witness to that person in line at Walmart behind you. Do something simple. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, I'm gonna be obedient to whatever you want me to do today. Lead me, guide me in the truth, and help me. The Bible says he's your helper and he's your guide. He'll do it. He'll help you, he'll guide you. But be open and be bold. I'm gonna tell you one more story and then then we're gonna have an altar call. And I want you to just start to prepare your hearts and start to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and to move. So there was a, a time in my life where I really wanted this certain kind of boots. And I went all over the city looking for these silly boots. I, some other people, I'd seen them and I wanted to have them and I was gonna be awesome in these boots. And so I, I looked at Walmart and I looked in the mall and I looked at all the stores and I looked everywhere. I couldn't find these boots. Well, one day this guy that's really just an acquaintance, I had met him once or twice. He walked into the store where I was at And I turned around and saw him and I was like, hey, how how are you? And then I saw his feet and he had the boots. The boots that I wanted, he had them on. And so I went up to him and I said, dude, where'd you get those boots? I said, I've been looking all over the place and I want some like that. Where can I find those boots? And he goes, oh man, my wife bought those at Target. And I was like, Target? Why did I think of Target? He said, "They, they still have them. I just got them the other day go get boots at Target. See, he, he had the answer to the question that fulfilled the longing of my heart. For some reason, my heart wanted those boots. He had the answer. How silly would it have been if I would have said, those boots, where'd you get the boots? I've got to have those boots. And he's like, how silly would that have been? for him to avoid eye contact with me because he doesn't want to talk about his boots. Nobody would do that. If you've got the answer to something that somebody wants, they ask you about it, who's gonna withhold? I've done that with Jesus. And I've heard somebody say, man, I'm sick, I just can't get over this sickness, I feel like I'm always sick. And I've thought, I know the healer, but they they probably don't wanna hear about it though. Yes, they do. Yes, they want to know the healer. Yes, they want to know the deliverer. Yes, they want to know how they can be saved. Whether they voice it or not, you have the answer to the longing of their heart. So be bold. Be a watchman. Be led by the Holy Spirit. And start today. Start right now. Would you stand up on your feet with me? The first thing that I wanna do today is if you would say, oh my gosh, I heard about hell today and I didn't realize that hell was real and I didn't realize that hell was a reality and I didn't realize that in order to get to heaven, you had to put my sins on the perfect spotless lamb, Jesus. And if you would say, I have never 
confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I've never believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I want you to do something bold today. And before I invite you to come, I want you to recognize that every single one of us in this room started off as sinners on our way to hell. And every single one of us in this room who are on our way to heaven answered the call and accepted Jesus into our hearts. You wanna know how much shame there is for coming and accepting Jesus? None at all, because all of us have done that. And so if you would say for the first time, I've never accepted Jesus as my savior, I've never confessed with my mouth, and I want Jesus today, come on, come down to the front with me. And we're gonna pray with you. We're gonna pray that prayer that they talked about in Romans chapter 10. And after this morning, you're gonna know you're on your way to heaven and you are saved. Is there anybody that for the first time you would say, I wanna give my life to Jesus? There's one more reality with this. And it's the reality of the prodigal son. That there are times in our life where because of our choices, we walk away from our father. And if you would say, I've walked away, I have not lived for Jesus. I confess him as Lord, but he really hasn't been my Lord. He hasn't been my master. He hasn't been in control and in charge of my life. I've been the one in control. And you would say, so today, I wanna line my heart up with Jesus again. I wanna rededicate my life to him. You know what the prodigal son did? It says he came to his senses and in his filth, with pig slop all over his body, with his clothes torn, he started walking back to his father's house. And the Bible says when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he ran to him and he embraced him. And that's what your father wants to do for you today. So if you would say, today's the day and I'm coming home, be bold and come down to the front with us right now. If you wanna come home and get your heart right with Jesus, is there anybody like this in the room that wants to get their heart right with Jesus? Come on, come on as a body of Christ, let's cheer. The Bible says that the angels celebrate in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. If I get my prayer team to come, come up here. when a little child accepts Jesus. There's a celebration in heaven. Hey, would you guys down here, would you just lift up your hands? And I'm gonna lead you in that prayer from Romans 10, verse nine. And the rest of us, the body of Christ, can we say this with them as an encouragement? Because they're not alone. They're not alone today and they're not alone in their walk with Christ. So let's pray, say this after me. Say, Jesus, out of my mouth, I confess you as Lord. And in my heart, I believe that 
God raised you from the dead. Come and be my Savior. And thank you that because of your sacrifice and because you took my sin, I get to live with you in eternity, in heaven, forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise. Our God is good. Our God is a God of love. And you guys are part of the family of God. But there's one more call. And that's the call to be a witness. And that's the call to be a fisher of men. And that's the call to testify to the people around you that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. And we want to lay hands on you and impart the gift of God on you if you would say, I'm ready to step up as a witness. I have the urgency of hell. I have the urgency of heaven in my heart and my spirit. And I'm ready to go from this place today and start telling people the good news of Jesus. And if that's you and you want us to lay hands on you and impart that gift within you, come on to the front. Come on, be bold. There's a hurting and a dying world that needs people to tell them about Jesus. You have the answer. You know where they can get the boots. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So prayer team, would you come on and just circle around behind them and we're gonna lay hands on them pray for him and I want you to impart the gift of God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.